Welcome to Empowering Chats with Susan Burrell. This is where I help strong, capable women excavate the inner garbage in their life so they can become more confident and have more clarity on who they are and how they really want to be in the world. We have rich, juicy conversations about, yeah, you guessed it, empowerment, but also about radiating your brilliance and loving yourself more than you ever have in your life. And who doesn't want that? So join me now for another empowering chat. Welcome to Empowering Chats. And uh, following the theme of reemergence for 2022, June, and we're in June, is radiance. And so what radiance means is to shine brightly as a light, to be cheerful, um, to admit rays of light, shining with joy and hope. So I'm just going to ask you to ask yourself, I'm asking you, do you feel radiant? And if not, why? Are you radiating love? I guess maybe the question really is, what are you radiating? Are you radiating love and joy and hope and happiness and freedom? Or are you radiating anxiety and feeling like you can't get forward in life and depression. What is it that you're feeling? So this means you got to get in touch with yourself, but ask yourself, what am I radiating? And if you can ask that on a daily basis, then you can find your choice point. Today, I choose to radiate love. Today, I choose to radiate peace or hope or joy and make it a conscious choice. Make it a, a daily morning practice. How do I want to radiate in the world? Because that's part of re-emerging, re-emerging, coming back out into connection with others, back out in as you are connected with yourself, right? So how do I radiate from the inside out? It's a good thing to think about. Meanwhile, enjoy the shows. So you, you guys, I say this every time. I am, I have such a great gig. I have such a great job because I get to talk to amazing people. I get to talk to light leaders in the world that are really um, doing their deep work and then sharing that with um, people that they work with. So um, today is no different. Today is going to be a really fun interesting conversation. So I want to welcome the author of The Seven Energies of the Soul, David Gandelman. David, thanks for joining me. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's, I'm so excited to talk to you. So you are a meditation teacher and you, you developed a school of meditation, yes? Yeah. So I have an app called uh, Meditation School. That's actually the name of the app. And um, I have a podcast, the Meditation School podcast as well. Awesome. And so, and all that stuff will be in the show notes, everybody. So don't, don't worry about trying to run and write this down. But so David, what, before we get into the book, which I, I just have to say, I really am enjoying. Thank you. Um, awesome. What led you, like what happened in your life that you decided you needed to meditate and, uh, and commit then to teaching this? Sure. Well, I started meditating at an early age. I was 16 and I just started by reading books and um, something radical in me shifted right out of the gate. And uh, it became, uh, it just became my passion. 
oddly enough, sitting still <laughs> was my passion. And so I ended up uh, getting a degree in philosophy. I went and lived in the Himalayas for a while, living in some ashrams, studying with you know, various teachers, gurus, yogis, all of, all of the eat, pray, love kind of stuff. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and then I eventually went and lived in Hawaii where I spent seven years studying uh, and then being the director of an intuitive development school. So for healers, readers, all the, all the fun woo-woo stuff. So uh-huh. I kind of went, I went from the, um, just my own practice in the suburbs in New Jersey as a teenager, meditating, reading Eckhart Tolle books to, um, that was the year 2000. Um, to studying Western philosophy, to then studying the Eastern traditions, and then more of the energetic stuff. And then uh, eventually I decided I I was running this nonprofit school in Hawaii, and I decided I'm tired of being poor, (laughs) working 100 hours a week, you know, whatever it was, crazy amount of hours running this school. And so I just, uh, I moved to New York for a bit, And I started my own programs online, started just teaching on my own. And slowly that developed into teaching on apps like Insight Timer, which I know you do as well. And then also uh, developing my own app and all all the other stuff that has come along with it. So, and then the teaching style is really just kind of my own, you know, synthesis of everything I've learned in my own life experience. And so whenever people, whenever people ask me, you know, what kind of style do you teach? Is it mindfulness? Is it energetic? You know, what is it? It's kind of uh, all of the above, you know, depending you know, on. So, the yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Depending on. All, yeah. Just the students and the, the level and what, what I see people may need at, in that moment. So, David, this is interesting to me um, when people ask, because I get the same question. Are you, do, are you a mindfulness coach? Well, yes, and not really, you know? And so when you do your meditations, how does it work for you? Because I, I find when I, when I start to record a meditation for, for my clients or Insight Timer or whatever, uh, I just open up to whatever needs to be said and it comes out my mouth. Is that something, is that part of what you do? Sure. I would say, you know, it's a mix of experience and kind of intuitive awareness in the moment of Mm -hmm. uh, whoever you're with, just like anything in life. And so, um, but definitely, you don't, you know, if somebody goes, I want to be a meditation teacher today and it's all intuition, they're going to have a hard time if it's day one. So just like anything you get, you master something. And then the more you master it, the better your intuition gets in that moment. So um, I would say it's definitely a mix of, of, you know, a couple decades of preparation. And being mm-hmm. present. and so uh, I definitely have a kind of structure I like to teach in mostly, which is, um, you know, setting up what is it that we're working on today? You know, or is there kind of some kind of uh, limitation or block or something you want to heal or an answer that you're looking for? And then what are the tools we can use to kind of work our way there? Um, and I'll use various tools depending on the moment, on the class, on the level. Um, right. But it's usually, usually, no matter what question a student asks or what issue they're coming with, they're always asking the same question, which is, you know, what is my next step here? How do I find my answer? How do I heal? How do I grow? What's the next piece of the puzzle for me? And my job is to help teach them how to 
close their physical eyes, open their inner eye and start to see in and have insight. I, you know, and I'm nodding because that's, that's very much how I work as well. And, and when, and it's so, and that was the best explanation I've heard seriously, David, because, (laughs) because when people ask me, I'm like, well, you know, it has to be experienced because I listen on so many different levels when I'm working with somebody and nine times out of 10 in a session, we do a guided meditation because that's what is needed for their healing. Like you said, and for them to find their next step. So when people go to the, um, your meditation school app, are you also teaching them, giving them skill sets so they can just do it themselves? Right. You know what I mean? Not like not have, um, as their guru or of course but but so that they become self-reliant and self-responsible yeah the entire purpose is of all my classes is to teach people how to see and find their own answers so they definitely won't need me (laughs) (laughs) that's Um, that's that's when you know you've done a good job right yeah, I consider myself like a piano teacher or something along those lines where I'll help you learn how to play and then you get to go play whatever you want and discover oh, I yourself love that. in that process. Yeah. I love that. You're very if wise I'm, soul. If, <laughs> thanks. If I was just here to dispense answers on people, which I see some teachers do and that's the thing, it's just not mine. Um, you know, I, I don't really see the value in that of saying, Hey, this is the nature of the universe. This is how everything works. This is what you should do with your life. Um, what's the point of doing it ourselves? And then I think students will take that intellectually, they'll digest it and they'll hold on to it for a really long time and not really find it out for themselves. I think we all know every great master teacher throughout history has always gone into a cave up a mountain, you know, burning bush, whatever it is, they find themselves, find their answers, and then teach people how to find those answers for themselves, the good ones. And I think the bad ones will say, follow me. I have the direct line to God. I'm your way to salvation. And then they create a cult or some, or some it, kind of mess. Exactly. I would, I would I've prefer met some to of those not people. create that mess. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> I have met some of those people. And um, when I was of a young, tender age, um, I followed and, and didn't realize that the only way to live life or live my life is by going within myself and, and discerning who I am and the blocks that I have you know, whether it's wounding or, or, or past life trauma that comes in with us or, or whatever it is, and begin to work that from the inside out. And a lot of, oh, I'm trying to be so nice. Uh, A lot of the, our predecessors, let's put it that way of the self-help new age transformation thing. We're all about follow me and I'll tell you how to live your life. And so right? They just had all these followers, but nobody was really getting the point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a very normal phase of growth for, for people to guru chase and to look for their answers in someone else. It's almost, uh, and I think an unavoidable phase really of looking outward for answers and whether that's in a guru 
or some kind of university professor or even in a partner or a parent, you know, we're externalizing the source of, of validation and authority. And that's a very normal phase as we're growing up. When we're kids, we're doing nothing but absorbing and learning from right. the people around us so that we could survive in the world. But then when we extend that out too far to what's my life purpose, who am I, why am I here? And we never grow into our own. I think that's when we get into trouble. That's when we end up in a cult. That's when we end up giving our power away. And that's when we end up not really living on our paths. And so uh, I think we all have to make that mistake in different ways and then come back to ourselves. And I definitely was a guru chaser living in India, going to sit with every teacher I could find. And I I always share the story. I used to have like a stack of, they look like baseball cards in my pocket of pictures of all the gurus. And uh, I knew all of their bios and their powers and, you know, their histories. I was like obsessed. There was a good year or two of my life where that was the journey I was on. And I had one in, in particular, I would go sit with a lot in India in the Himalayas. And then one day it just kind of fell away. I just realized how much I was putting them up on a pedestal. And mm-hmm. I, I think there's a, there's a great quote from Einstein, where he says, uh, the irony of life, you know, uh, I always hated authority (laughs) and life eventually made me the authority. And I feel a little bit the same way as now I get that on occasion where people put me on a pedestal or look to me for answers. I'm like, oh, I deserve this (laughs) (laughs) from the other side. (laughs) Right, right. And you're, uh, aware enough and conscious enough and healthy enough to recognize that that's just what it is. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, as teachers, we all have to keep our, our guard up on occasion of, uh, you know, you get inundated with compliments uh, and then, or sometimes even with criticism and recognizing you're, you're neither the best thing since sliced bread, nor you're the worst teacher that's ever walked the earth (laughs) and uh, just recognizing that and, uh, not needing to inflate or deflate in those moments. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and uh, I think it's uh, probably for me, it will be a lifelong practice for sure. I'm raising yeah. my hand. It is. <laughs> it, it just is. I, yeah. I, uh, it's fascinating when you stand in your own personal truth um, and, and you are that light, that light leader, that, that space of energy that the people that don't necessarily think they have that in them want to be around you so they can have some of yours. Right. And they don't realize that that light is in them as well. Yeah. That's really the job of a teacher is to help each student recognize that. And I heard a great quote once a job of a uh, master is not to create disciples. It's to create more masters. Right. Oh, I love that. Yeah, this sometimes uh, I, I met a guy once I remember living in Hawaii who is in his 70s. And he said, I love the master disciple relationship. And I love being the disciple. I'm a lifelong disciple. And I remember being in my 20s at the time going, God, I hope I'm not a disciple at 70. <laughs> and, and, and still putting everyone on a pedestal. That doesn't mean I think I know everything by any means. But there's almost this like on lesser than uh, there's this great 
being and I'm just this little one down here. And like, how did they become a great being, right? It was by mm-hmm. accepting who they were. and Accepting and, who they were. And I think being an endless disciple is not accepting who we are and always seeing someone else as greater than. And so that's one form of doing it. Or you can go in the opposite, like dark side direction. And what's the saying? Uh, some people become tall by cutting off the heads of others. So we can either raise people above us or we can cut them down to be above them. But I think it's kind of an expression of the same energy in just two different directions. Oh, I have one, never heard that. Yeah. You know, one being more pious that. and one being <laughs> less so. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's just a very warrior energy, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, not... a, it's a form of uh, getting mm-hmm. ahead, I guess, mm-hmm. <laughs> by cutting off some heads. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and I mean, we could see that in the world today, right? There's lots of people that cut off the heads of others to get ahead, to stay ahead, to stay on top. There's no shortage of that in, on this planet. So I want to ask you a question, because this is a conversation I have a lot on my show uh, since you brought it up. And then we'll get into your the juice of your book, because the book sure. is juicy. Um, and the practices you have in it are are just so right on. But this idea of off the heads, at, you know, of, of what's going on in the world. As a spiritual, spiritually aligned person and teacher, are you, what do you think? Do you think that, to me, I think that that's all old uh, consciousness that is dying, like, you know, like weeds in a field just dying until there's no nothing that gives that growth. That's what I, I think we're seeing in the world. What, what's your thought on that? Yeah. The way I look at it is I, I don't know if it's dying or not. May, maybe in certain pockets and areas. Um, but I actually think that in the last decade, there's been more like a democracy has gone down on the planet and authoritarianism has actually spread a little bit more pretty sure. Um, I see the world a little bit more like a plurality. So uh, there's this, uh, I mentioned this to a friend of mine the other day, there's this amazing movie called Valerian. It's a sci-fi film where uh, the the space station becomes like a, a space station for all of these species throughout the galaxy, eventually thousands. And it's a total plurality of like every kind of being and entity you can imagine. And I feel like Earth is already like that. You know, I've lived on a lot of continents and a lot of countries. And you, it's like, yeah, there are different cultures, but this, some of them feel more alien than others, otherworldly. Mm-hmm. And some places it feels like it's 1450. Some places it feels like it's the year 2050 and everything in between. There's a lot of heaviness, darkness, unconsciousness. And then there's some real pockets of awakening and light and love. And um, so I don't pretend to know what direction the world is going, but if I had to bet, I think it's more of a plurality than everyone awakening, at least in the short term. So there are pockets of lots of awakening, like millions of people, clearly. And then there's a lot of old consciousness, darkness that you would think was going away. And then you see a lot of young people in it again. So I'm not sure. Maybe there's a good endless uh just like stream of new souls that come to earth to screw up maybe that's not (laughs) something that's ending i i really don't know but my extensive experience traveling around this planet 
and living on a lot of continents, I've seen a lot of darkness and I've seen no indication of it shifting. Um, and then other areas, I see great change and awakening. So I really just see both. You see yeah. both. And, and then, yeah. so, and then this was my conversation this morning uh, with some friends of how to find the not seeing it as good or bad, right or wrong, light or dark, but to see it as both being possi possibly necessary for the entire growth of hum humanity. Yeah, I, I, there's this great quote from Eckhart Tolle where he says, uh, you know, suffering is necessary until we realize it's unnecessary. Mm -hmm. And so for some pockets of humanity, that physical suffering, mental, emotional suffering is necessary the kind of you get dragged through the mud until you wake up. So when that ends, I, I have no idea. And I think we all go through it on different levels. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, um, I'm here as crazy as it sounds. I wouldn't be here without World War II. Uh, my grandparents survived the Holocaust and then the family eventually moved to the United States. And I am a product of the, uh, of the effect of, of that war in, in a lot of ways. And I wouldn't exist without it, as horrible as that sounds. Um, I have relatives that live in Israel that wouldn't exist without that war. Right, right. Uh, and, you know, again, the, the I, I have a development team that works for me in Ukraine. I worked with them this morning, yesterday, every day. And they're literally working right now through a war. And as horrible as it is, I, I think there will be some good born out of it in the end. Um, and, and, and some darkness born out of it. So um, I think each of us has a unique opportunity in these moments. Some souls take it and grow and others dig in, <laughs> you know, they just, they just dig in and that's it this lifetime. I think they, they died dug in, you know, like uh, yeah. there's some beings for sure. I think I heard the Dalai Lama once say, I'm pretty sure that some people are too dangerous to be alive. And, oh, uh, I've seen that as well. Yep. Um, yep. So, uh, yes, yeah, suffering can be the great awakener for sure. It, it will continue to be the great awakener for the foreseeable future. And then there's some people who recognize they don't need to suffer to awaken. They mm -hmm. can kind of put the car in manual and start, start to drive it themselves. Themselves, which is exactly yeah. why you're teaching, yes? Yeah, is to teach people that they can be in control of their energy. And obviously, we can't control the external circumstances all the time or events. But I think as we shift our energy, the world really does shift around us. Yeah, I, and thank you so much for sharing um, your personal history. Um, I think it's important that people understand that because we're influenced by our lineage as well you know, and that informs us and, and helps to um, kind of point us in the direction we want to go as a soul when we come in. Yeah. Or, yeah. and or the direction we don't want to go. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I, did, I was going no in the Holocaust. other direction for, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. No more, no more. Yeah. I've uh, been blanketing. Dad... Oh, go ahead. Okay. Oh no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I've been blanketing Russia and the Ukraine and the, all the surrounding yeah. areas in peace. And if I wake up in the middle of the night, I just send peace again and just peace, it, it, you know, whatever, in whatever form that's going to take, 
but just to to energetically and we can all do this anybody that's listening you you don't have to go to russia or ukraine to do this you can just do it energetically sending peace that 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 isn't attached to anything either you know like let's have peace in the ukraine so the russians are bad you know but just blanketing all of it so that it's a beautiful energy bath yeah agreed and ukraine and russia is really a family feud um so so many russians and ukrainians are related i have ukrainian relatives uh my dad was in the russian air force my grandfather fought the nazis for russia in world war ii my other grandfather uh worked in what's considered like the white house in belarus which was at the time russia ussr so that's my entire family 100 of my family lineage is from that region of the world so watching them fight is is difficult and at the same time i've you know i know a lot of russians and folks from that region who are really you know when you think of how did the germans allow the you know nazism to form and to happen and how could they be so ignorant unconscious closed-minded un- have a lack of compassion and uh i i'm seeing it play out again it's amazing in, in even in people i know and um and so it's uh it's something that still occurs on the planet and I think uh, will continue to surprise us as it continues to occur. And then we get to decide how we want to respond with our awareness and our energy and how we want to contribute. And, um, but I'm under, I think maybe I'm different in this way as a spiritual teacher, but I see a lot of darkness. I don't see it abating anytime soon. Um, And I do see as part of my service to the world is to help people awaken out of it the best they can and to heal. But I don't personally see it ending in my lifetime. You know, David, I really appreciate your um, speaking truth because a lot of people that get into a spirit, I promise we're going to talk about your book. Promise, promise, promise. (laughs) But people that get into a spiritual path, right? Uh, Especially newbies. um, They, 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 they think that now that they're developing their spiritual skill set, that everything's going to be good. It's all good. And, and that's, that's not necessarily true. It, it isn't all good. And, and in order for human souls to evolve and grow, there needs to be a little bit of that friction, if you will, of the, the light and the dark within us. I mean, I can't even tell you how many times I go in and I'm like, Oh, there's that dark pocket again. And, and I, and I've, I, now that I'm a ripe old age, David, I've realized I, I don't have to eradicate the darkness. Um, sure. I just I just need to witness it and allow it and sometimes embrace it, but not shame it because it's yeah. just a, another another aspect of me. Yeah. And, you know, anything uh, we suppress, it's like a toothpaste bottle. It'll the toothpaste will go somewhere and it'll come out eventually. So I think you see that a lot in like sexual abuse in the Catholic church. And you see that a lot in cancel culture, you know, it's like, uh, I'm all good. I'm no bad. And, and then it, it comes out in some awkward warped way, or I'm the perfect teacher or I'm the perfect wife or, or husband or perfect parent, or I'm on the PTA board and I donate money and I'm this good person. And then you got all your dark secrets piling up 
And, you know, that's very, very common. As a teacher of mine would say, uh, nothing gets suppressed successfully forever. And uh, Ooh, we live yeah. in a society where to be a good person, to have that mask is very acceptable and you get lots of praise and validation for it. And then it creates a warped version of who we are as human beings. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we become very, uh, we start justifying everything and, you know, thinking we're better than you have all these experiences. It's, it's part of the human condition. Um, but as a meditator, your job, I think is anyway, the way I teach it is not to choose one side of you over the other. Um, it's to have an awareness and acceptance of all of the energy. And then as you do it, it will naturally heal and, and shift. And if you're acting out in some really intense darkness, then you're not really most likely bringing too much awareness to that part of yourself. So if somebody says they, they are, and they're, you know, really doing some intensely negative things that hurt others, uh, I highly doubt they're really bringing that much awareness into themselves. Mm-hmm. My, one of my um, credos, probably for eons, uh, that I committed to eons ago, is, and it harm none and it mm-hmm. harm none. So I, I really attempt, and I caught myself this week, I really attempt to watch my thoughts as well as um, the words that I speak and, and have it harm none, you know, not to gossip or not to say mean, horrible things. And like I said, I tripped over myself a few times this week, but, it but it, right, because we're human, but to just really become, for me, it's having, having compassion means really trying not to uh, judge or say horrible things or do horrible things. So anyway. Well, I play, I play ice hockey, so I keep a little bit of that harming others, but just, just, just enough to have fun. (laughs) Yeah. It's because that's the game. As long as you're not busting people's teeth, but no, um, I've gotten a few busted teeth myself. So (laughs) I've been on the receiving end. So David, let's talk about your book, the seven energies of the soul. Now, the thing I like about this is, uh, you have in here, the archetype of the creator, the healer, the warrior, the lover, the artist, the explorer and the master. And, and this is interesting because this is the foundation of the work you do now. Yes. Yeah, it is. Now, why, why, uh, why work on archetypes? I mean, what's who sure. cares, right? Yeah. So the, the this was really born out of um, after working with probably well over a thousand clients one on one over the years and thousands of meditation students, people would come to me with the same issues and problems over and over and over again. I have a relationship problem, financial problem, career problem, you know, creative block, spiritual block, whatever it is. So what I started to do was kind of flip that right side up is maybe you don't have so much of a problem as much as this is your life path. So if someone... Mm you know, continuously experiences heartbreak, rejection, maybe they're mastering their lover energy, their inner lover. If they uh, are stuck spiritually, maybe they're here to master their quote unquote master 
inner master energy, their artist, their warrior, their creator, their healer. So uh, for example, a lot of folks probably listening to this are empaths. A lot of empaths have a hard time managing energy. They overabsorb yeah. the pain of the world. So I like to frame that as they're mastering their inner healer energy. What, what would it be like if you truly mastered your healer and you had great boundaries and you were able to help and you did not absorb other people's pain? You know, what would that look like and how do we help get you there? So that's kind of where, but, and by these were born from, and by the way, these are not terms I made up. Uh, I've definitely taken them from various teachers and places, and I just put them in a framework that works for me and for my students. You can cut the pie into any amount of pieces you want. I thought seven was a good number for me, and it Mm -hmm. seemed to encompass pretty much all of the issues, energies in one form or another. So that's how we got there. And then each energy can be in deficiency or in excess. So a deficient healer might um, be closed off, never helping others, not wanting to feel an excessive healer might be someone who absorbs every energy they touch and has no boundaries. And then you could say the same for a lover, maybe excessive lover, no boundaries, always giving, never receiving. Mm. Uh, A deficient lover, closed heart, wall in front of the chest, right? Things like that. So we assess ourselves and recognize that we're all, all of them. We're not just one or two. And if we lean too hard into one and, you know, avoid another, then we have an imbalance in life. And I think happiness is really the expression of balance. It's like a really good recipe, right? You need just enough of every ingredient to make something taste just right. So I don't think one thing is going to make you happy. I think all of them put together will. And that's how I personally approach life. And so that's how I framed the book. I love it. And I love it. And, um, and you talk about in your book how because we're uh, growing and evolving souls, spirits, um, what worked for us in our 20s may not be working for us in our 40s. Or, so th- so we change in those, those aspects or energies shift as well. Yeah. Ex- and maybe in your 20s, you're really focused on your creator. Or, or let's say for me, it was my explorer. I was traveling all over the world, just, you know, learning and exploring. And then, and then it turned into my creator. I wanted to build a career in my 30s, right? Eventually, a lot of folks want to have a family. Maybe they start developing their lover, their relationships. Uh, then we get into, I want to do my creative projects, my art. We develop our inner artist. And some of us want to be teachers, guides, mentors of some form, we, or just our own inner enlightenment. And we start developing that spiritual part of ourselves, that master. And mm-hmm. so recognizing, yeah, we have different phases of life at different moments. We put more attention into one energy or another, but I think we all are attracted to and want to become someone that is balanced and somebody that could show up in every area of your life. Right. And yeah, that would be, man, that, I mean, that's my ongoing uh, learning experiences, how to, how to find balance, maintain balance, how yes. to regain balance, because, you know, it's like being on a surfboard. Sometimes you fall off. Exactly. It's not a balance is not really a static thing that you achieve. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. something you kind of are always working on. It's almost like exercising every day, eating every day, getting up out of bed, meditating every day, showing up, 
right? Showing up in relationship and career and creativity, just showing up again and again, mastering each piece. Uh, I think that's that's the work. It's not some really complex mystery. It's right in front of us. And sometimes we just need a little guidance, some self-assessment, some inner introspection, some healing, and some action. Yeah. So the thing I like also about your book, David, um, is besides talking about the uh, each energy, each archetype as with the with the balance. Here's what it looks like to be balanced in this particular area. Here's the deficit. Here's the um, excess. But at the end of every chapter, you, you have a guided meditation, it's written, a guided meditation to do specific on that energy. And then you, you also talk about self-reflection, and, and that means journaling. And I am big, big, big on journaling. My, my clients, my students, I, they always have to have a journal because it's, for me, it's about getting that muck out of the head, not yeah. walking around with it. Yeah, I agree. I think you're, you know, it's not for everybody. Some people don't like to write. Uh, Some people like voice notes. Other people, Mm -hmm. they like to just go jogging or paint something along those lines. They express their emotion differently. But definitely if you're somebody that likes to write, journaling is an incredible way to flush out some of the energy. And what's that quote? I love uh, pain plus reflection equals growth. So usually we go through something, there's some kind of tension in life, and then we have to resolve that tension. Just like every film, every film you've ever watched, there's tension that is created in the beginning of the film. And then at the end of the film, the the resolution of that tension. That's Mm -hmm. also real life. That's every day we go through tension and the resolution of tension and falling asleep is maybe that resolution momentarily of tension. And then death is the ultimate like resolution of tension mm-hmm. and uh, of letting of letting go. And so journaling can be a form of releasing some of that tension and reflecting on some of the pain. And if we don't reflect on our pain, we don't, we don't grow. It just festers and it yeah. takes different forms and it changes its name and its address, but it's always there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I have personally lived that of not addressing my pain several times in my life, you know, so yeah, yeah I we hear all that. Have. I, oh my God. Um, the other thing I like, though, is besides the meditation and encouraging uh, self-reflection with questions, you also have like a, here's, here's something, what are you going to do about it kind of thing, like a, an action step. And And when I was first reading your book about Okay, and then taking action, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really want to, David. I, yeah, <laughs> but it, but in the book, the at the stuff that you encourage people to do in terms of setting a goal or doing something fun, and, and it's different for each uh, energy. Um, like, like your explorer, you, one of the things you encourage is for people to like go on a retreat or go out and see things and the artist to develop your artist experience to maybe do some drawing or writing or, or something like that. And I love that there's, so it's actionable. I I, I do like that. I, I I will, I will do the action thing at the end of the chapters. I promise. (laughs) 
Yeah. You know, sometimes the best way to move energy is to take action and that could be exercise. It could be art. It could be travel, hiking, obviously retreats are expensive. So it doesn't, it doesn't have to be like, thanks, David. I don't have five grand to go on a retreat next weekend. It does not have to be that you could literally just go on a hike. As far as I know, yes. it's still free right? <laughs> or some kind of exploratory journey. So uh, igniting the fire in each of those areas of our lives. Um, there, we're, this is the first time in history we have access to all the information on earth. You could explore on the internet. You can get spiritual teachings. You can get guidance on business, on relationships, on all of life, right? There's, if it was the year 1450, there was like seven books that existed and six of them were Christianity. And, you know, right. whatever. there was really no options for finding knowledge that were very easily accessible to most people. And so we are in a different age. And so the growth is rapid, but so also is like the misinformation and maybe the kind of poor information. So we, we have to be more discerning, but there's also enormous opportunity. Okay, so circling back to the kind of the beginning of our conversation with the following a guru kind of thing. So what, how do, what do you encourage, how do you encourage your students to have discernment when they're researching another spiritual uh, program or whatever? I think it's similar to dating. Like um, somebody could say lots of words, really beautiful words. But what is their energy like? You know, if we all pay it, if we pay attention, we all know we can tell when someone has a darkness to them or when they're being manipulative or lying or they're not who they say they are or aren't, they're not where they say they are with their growth. We all have a sense. And if you don't have a sense, if you're like, I'm confused, I just don't understand human beings then you know your next step in life is to learn how to understand human beings. So that would be your next step. So if you fail miserably at dating, for example, and you're like, I just can't tell when someone's lying, then clearly you might need a coach or a guide, some therapy, some help. You know, there's probably some underlying reason that you have a hard time telling when men or women lie. Like maybe your dad lied all the time. And so you have a deep trauma and so you yeah, have a hard yeah. time telling or the opposite end where you think everyone's lying all the time and you're also not seeing people clearly and so the same can go for spiritual teachers and gurus who who cares really what they're saying if you if you hang on to that too much you're going to get lost it's what kind of energy are they bringing are they coming from their heart are they peaceful are they happy in difficult moments do they snap or or do they really show up i had a guru in india once who's somebody asked him a tough question. It wasn't even that tough. It was like, how come you don't talk more about Hinduism in India? Whatever. It was, in my right. opinion, a lame question, honestly. And he just snapped and started yelling. And he said, I'm going to go back to my room. I won't even teach anymore if you don't want, if you're going to, if you're going to ask me questions like that. And I was like, I was in the front row, like shaking, like how could this oh. perfect enlightened being snap? Oh my God, his ego is so fragile. <laughs> uh, and and that was a great awakening moment for me because I couldn't see it and I was so attached to his words you know we all have those kinds of experiences that jar us wake us up and there's no better teacher than experience so like with dating you date a whole bunch of people find out what you like and you don't like what works and what doesn't helps you understand who you are 
rather than just like hiding at home, waiting for life to sh- show someone up on your doorstep, uh, right. night in shining armor syndrome. And, and so the same with uh, spiritual teachers, you may have to go out, listen to a hundred of them, go see them, go talk to them, find out what you vibe with. And then there are stages in life. So at one moment, a certain kind of teacher is really valuable for you and, and works. And then, the, you know, in the next stage, it's another kind of teacher. So I started with, you know, Western philosophers and I sat with Indian gurus and I sat with a bunch of female intuitive development teachers in Hawaii. And so I got to see all these different angles and it was all good. It was all helpful for me at the stages I was at at the time. I, we attract the kind of teachers we're ready for, not the, not the perfect ones. <laughs> necessarily. Oh, you know what? There's, that's a lot of truth there because sometimes those teachers are the ones that, uh, and the ones that are, are uh, um, not necessarily in integrity are good teachers as well. Sure. I've had that experience. Yeah, I have a yeah. friend, uh, Scott Stubiel, who's a wonderful author. He has a great book called Big Love. Lucky guy has Elizabeth Gilbert on the cover saying how great his book is. <laughs> and uh, Anyway, he spent, and he writes about this in the book, he spent 13 years in a cult in Northern mm. California. And he describes how he got out of that cult and what the experience was like. I'm always asking him to write a whole book on the cult because I, I find it so fascinating, the dynamics. And, you know, he had some pain in him and I think they kind of seized it on that. And so he got stuck in there for a while and then eventually he got out of it and he, get, he gets to talk about it now and he's an amazing human being. And he had to go through that experience. And so whether it's 13 years in a cult or six months or in a bad relationship or anything in between, you know, we eventually we pop out of it and go, what the hell was that? God, I was right. hypnotized. And that can happen with spiritual teachers as well. And it's, and it's a great lesson. Yeah. And, and hopefully your discernment develops when you're in entranced like that hopefully the discernment develops so that eventually when you can get out because that takes it that takes a lot of strength and courage to recognize you've been uh gaslighted or whatever you want to say yeah there's this quote i love um good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment Mm. that's the arc of life for the majority of us. Yep. <laughs> That's definitely yep. what I've experienced. Yeah, so me too. If we can mitigate mitigate how long some of those lessons are by really paying attention and doing the work, all the better. We all don't have to spend 13 years in a cult, hopefully to learn a lesson like that. And um, But some, sometimes we do, or 20 years in a marriage. Sometimes we do. And that's what it is. And that's what it was. And now we get to mine the gold out of that experience of what we want, don't want, wouldn't do again, and move on to the next chapter of our lives. And there's always a next chapter, you know, even in death. Uh, what's that movie, Lord of the Rings, when Gandalf, the gray, the gray he dies, the wizard, mm-hmm. he comes back, Gandalf, the white in his white robe. Even then, there's a next chapter beyond death. I think. And, and so there's always a next chapter. So if you sit and regret and dwell on the last chapter and you just swirl in that energy, you're really doing yourself a disservice. So maybe we have to just change the kind of uh, lens here. What 
or or the the belief it was never about doing it right it was about having the experience and you were probably meant to have that negative or quote unquote negative experience so you can learn something if we could look at it that way and stop beating ourselves up we could start really moving forward more quickly with the lessons that we learned and then part of that is also not holding others to that same standard of you messed up you're the worst forever so it goes right. both inward and outward mm-hmm that's beautifully stated, David. Thank you for that, because you just kind of described my 28-year marriage that I got out <laughs> of and how I had to learn and all that stuff. So thank yeah. you. It's very common. Some people it's marriage, some people it's a cult, some people it's a career, right? Or yeah, some yeah. people it's a family dynamic, and they all last 10, 20, 30 years, and, and one of them does, and then we wake up out of it, and it, that's the timing. That's just what it is, and it's totally... Yep valid and okay. Yep. So the book is called the seven energies of the soul by David Gandelman. And, uh, David has meditation school app. How do people find that? Yeah, just through the Apple, Apple app store or Google app store, Android app store, whatever it is. Uh, you can also just go to meditation school.us and uh, you can also find me, you know, where they could find you on, on the Insight Timer app. If Insight you just Timer. David. Yeah. Are you, are you teaching uh, live classes on Insight Timer? On occasion. You know, I don't have okay. any scheduled at the moment. I'll, I do. I do on occasion. It's, it's fun. I love that app. I love working with everyone there. And it's got a great, I mean, it's the world's largest meditation app. I think Yeah. something like 20 million users. So it's yeah, a great, I, great place to be for teachers and students. And it's a great place yeah. to find teachers as a student. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's a very good. And they're, I think they're in integ- They are in integrity. Yeah. I've been working with their, me too. I've been working with their management team for like seven years. I've helped them with a lot of different products and they are in integrity. I've worked with some of the other big meditation apps and I've been like, yuck. <laughs> they're, the, they're the only ones that I've never had a phone call, email exchange, anything with them that felt out of integrity. They're always doing everything the, in, in a very fair way. And I really love that about them. And I think that's probably why they're so successful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I totally mm-hmm. agree. So, um, and can people, do you have like a newsletter or something that people can sign up for sure. to hear when you're doing uh, live events? Yeah. Yeah, if they just go to meditationschool.us, jump on the newsletter. I usually send out a free sleep meditation and or other mm-hmm. kind of meditation every week. So I try to mostly focus on just giving the uh, email folks content as much as possible. Awesome. Thank you. And and David, I just want to say thank you so much for being exactly who you are and doing <laughs> amazing work in the world. I really appreciate the light that you are and how you shine so brightly. Thank you. Thanks, Susan. You as well. It's really a pleasure to meet you and get to chat. Yeah. I have a feeling we'll be talking again. Yeah. Sure. (laughs) So I'm just going to end with, and so it is, namaste. Well, that wraps up our empowering chat today. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, go to susanburrell.com. You can see all the information about my new book, Live an Empowered Life, a 30-Day Journey. You can also access guided meditations that I have on Insight Timer through the website. And just see what else is out there on my site that you might find empowering and exciting to experience. 
You can also contact me through the website at susan at susanmorell.com. So that's it for today. See you next time.